the Board Shorts podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Cook, and I'm here with another easy to digest dose of valuable board and company director related information designed to help you to get on board and thrive in the boardroom. You're listening to episode 63, Finding Your Voice in the Boardroom, and I am joined by Tamsin Simmons today. She is a personal development specialist in the professional world who has worked with brands such as ANZ, the Institute of Public Accountants, the University of Adelaide and AGL. Tamsin has a backstory spanning corporate healthcare, big banks, social enterprise and startups and understands people and businesses like few others do. As a respected voice on personal and professional development, she's written for publications like Thrive Global, Smart Company, Business Chicks, and Women's Agenda. Tamsin works with leaders and organizations to uncover what it's really going to take to influence change and activate potential, and creates tailored, action-focused development programs and experiences that really shift the needle. Tamsin is also rethinking the way we live, work and lead. And as is the case with all of those facets, a lot of her work centers around communication. So we're concentrating our conversation today on communication in the boardroom. Many new and aspiring board members I talk to identify being truly heard and having the confidence to speak up in the boardroom as being one of their biggest board career challenges. If you feel the same, My conversation with Tamsin will be sure to give you some ideas and tools to help you find your voice in the boardroom. We cover building confidence to speak up and share your ideas, minimizing self-doubt, the role you can play in avoiding groupthink, bringing a diverse voice to the boardroom, ways to find your voice and feel like a valued and valuable board member, getting over imposter syndrome, and how to influence outcomes in authentic ways. I also share some of my boardroom blunders, and there have been many, and reassure you that being a beginner is okay and valuable in itself. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Tamsin Simmons. Welcome, Tamsin. It's so wonderful to have you on the Board Shorts podcast. Welcome. Thanks for having me, Lisa. I'm so happy to be here. Absolutely. As am I. And I'm so interested and psyched that we're going to be talking about what we're talking about today. And that's around finding your voice in the boardroom. And as I talked about when we were preparing for this episode, so many people who are new in the boardroom or aspiring to get there. And so I've had some sort of leadership experience, either at work or in other contexts, come to me with the issues around confidence, speaking up with their ideas in the boardroom. They're um, oftentimes they're deciding to keep ideas to themselves. And then another board member will say the same thing and sort of get the credit. And then there's a lost opportunity. Um, There's a lot of self-doubt that people are good enough to be in the boardroom Um, People really want to understand how to have their diverse voice heard, which is what I'm a huge advocate on. Boards are really pushing towards bringing diversity in 
getting the people around the table is one thing, but activating it and leveraging it and using it is another. So hopefully we have some stuff today that will really help there. Um, people finding their voice, sort of being able to influence effectively and appropriately and all of those sort of things. You know, numerous people are bringing this up as their biggest issue. But I want to wind back before we go forward. Like me, you've had a lot of experience um, with these sort of issues, with working with people that have ha- that are having these problems and that you've experienced yourself in the boardroom. So how did you approach settling in and adding value as a new board member? Yeah, thanks for the question. It's somewhat humbling to share this story, to be honest. So when I, um, just for a bit of context, before my first board role, I was actually best known for running a leadership development program called Lead ID. So I was working with emerging and established leaders over four months in the four topics of leadership identity. So really getting to know yourself as a leader and how you contribute on confidence, um, imposter syndrome, all of those mindset things on well-being and on um, cognitive performance, essentially, and on communication and influence. So those are the things that I was, you know, basically written the book on. (laughs) And then I come in to have my first board role and it really felt like I was starting all over again. I came in and for the first two months, I'm really thankful that in my first meeting with the chair of that board, I said, just to let you know, I'm really likely to spend the first couple of months just feeling my way through. I may not speak up a lot because I'm going to be listening and learning and learning about the dynamic of the room. And I'm really thankful that I did that because that's exactly what I did. And it just bought me a bit of time. But it was more than a couple of months in, I was still feeling a bit nervous about sharing what I knew and speaking up, second guessing myself, Um, I was a a young person on the board compared to most of the people on the board and I was a female, um, one of three females on a board of 10. So I was kind of just learning about where do I fit here and how do Mm. I add value and that was just coming up in this imposter syndrome and not feeling confident in sharing my story. So I had to go back and just basically, I, I literally got my own workbooks out and I had to go back through the process again after being in a career where I rose through the ranks. So I ended up as an organizational development and communications manager at an organization that are about um, a team of 800. But I'd worked up from the ground as a graduate radiographer to go into that role. So I had cred, I knew the people, I had the relationships, I really trusted myself in that environment to lead and to communicate. Uh, I was running my own consultancy, so I was really confident in sharing the information that I knew. This is coming in in just a whole new context, in a whole new group of people, in a way that I just desperately wanted to be accepted. I wanted to make an impact. It was a nonprofit board and I wanted to be seen and heard for for really doing something there and for contributing in a meaningful way if I was going to have a seat at the table. So that pressure I'd put on myself was essentially my undoing because it stopped me from being able to communicate in a really impactful way. So um, I did eventually feel a lot more confident and comfortable, but gosh, I learned some things along the way and had to reapply what I knew in a different context to be able to bring it to life. 
Yeah, I so feel that. I feel like it's, you know, we only have to normalize this. It's going to be weird when you first get on a board. You and I, I did this in my first sort of proper board. I was like, I know what to expect. I've I've read about it. I've heard about it. You know, this is fine. And then you get and you're like, oh my god, this is totally I had no idea this is crazy out of control I don't know what to do I don't know what to say and I want you to contrast that against the what I'm going to call the other end of the spectrum which I have also done <laughs> and that's <laughs> to a new board and try and tell people how they should do things mm-hmm. yeah so yeah, none of those approaches ideal or particularly <laughs> recommended. I completely understand. But it's had the fastest way to learn, right? Absolutely. What not to do. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think I, I can write a textbook on that one. But mm-hmm. I, I want to come back to something you said, and this is that you had this conversation with the chair around really priming that person and saying, I'm coming in to observe and understand and and. Uh, seek first to understand before Mm -hmm. being understood. I feel like many people would think about doing that and feel like that's the wrong thing to do. It's kind of like you're admitting that you don't know what you're doing. So where did that come from? Where did that sort of of thinking come from with you? I think that um, vulnerability is a really nice way to build trust. So the... If I'm coming from the place that I'm feeling a little bit impostery here, I've never done um, that AICD course. I hadn't done any sort of training for emerging company directors. I'd never been on a board before. For me to come in and pretend I've got all this under control, um, I think with what I know would have just felt wrong to me and out of alignment and out of integrity. And I needed to trust that the people that I was going to be working with were going to be able to accept that in the way that it was delivered. And potentially if I had someone that was going to look down on that or not accept it, then I probably wouldn't have been wanting to work with them anyway. So I needed to share myself in order to kind of build that rapport and and to stay within integrity for myself, which is really important. Yeah. Do you find that it... um... You know, it's hard to know because you didn't do it the other way as well. But do you think that that made them more willing and wanting to help and support you to integrate faster by taking sort of that that more, not like a helpless approach, but to sort of be like, you know, I'm coming into this new environment, this new context, these group of people that have been doing this job for some time, and I really want to take a considered intentional approach. So do you think it made a difference? Oh, look, I think that there were definitely people that were there and willing to help for me. Maybe it might have knocked me back a peg in terms of what they were expecting of me or, you know, how I was seen in their mind. Um, Certainly for me, it gave me permission to be able to to be a beginner and to be a learner in that environment, and that was really important. I think I could have even done it more. Looking back, there certainly, that was a phrase that I used to open up to, okay, I'm going to spend a little bit of time feeling my way through here and getting to know everything. But there were certainly parts that I didn't share of, you know, speaking up and asking a question of, I didn't quite understand that languaging. Can you explain that to me? Um, I think I would have been doing myself a real service to take it even further than that. 
I think it's so important. If we're looking at confidence, um, a colleague of mine, Alastair Horscroft, who I did some training with, he's been really influential in my career. He talks about confidence is kind of like this triangle where in the bottom you've kind of got congruence or alignment. On the other side, you've got confidence. And then at the top, you've got competence. Mm-hmm. And it's not really the confidence that you need to focus on building. It's really working toward this feeling of congruence, right? Mm-hmm. And to get congruence, you just need to have enough confidence to start to develop the competence. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah. So I was confident enough to be able to say, I can contribute here. I'm going to put my hand up for this board role and throw my hat in the ring. And then and then I got the board role, which is great. So obviously they've seen value to bring me in. It was a reasonably rigorous process to get my foot in the door in the first place. Mm-hmm. And then um, I had just enough confidence then to, to try and develop the competence, which would have me feeling more in alignment and more confident and comfortable to share what I knew. So really all of that early days in the boardroom is about developing the competence and t- you need to understand the gap and you need to be able to communicate that gap so that you can have the people who know more than you in these areas to be able to help you to fill it. But on top of that, it's really important important to understand the value that you bring to the table in the first place and that's how you have enough confidence to actually get your foot in the door to get yourself into the room and that's really critical absolutely absolutely yeah I quite like that um triangle analogy because I always feel like um you've got confidence enough to be there and then people think that well, I should act like this as a board member and I should already know it all. And a lot of sort of boards, how they operate, and I feel like it's an unintentional mindset that we all have is like, well, you're good enough to be here, so you'll just get it and you'll know what to do. And and boards tend to not integrate and onboard and induct new board members very well and they kind of flounder and aren't contributing values. And then you get all those bad behaviors that people do thinking that they should behave like that. But really you only get to that point if you give it time to develop the the competence you're talking about. So to develop the skills as a board member, what do they do? What will help me thrive as a board member? And part of that, I think a big part of that is having that beginner's mindset that you're talking about. I do sort of advocate for that a lot. So how would you encourage people to to carry that around with them? Because I think it's a universal sort of great attribute to have is to come at things saying, I don't know it all already. I need to understand first and learn and then contribute that way. So how would you encourage people to develop that beginner's mindset? Yeah, well, I'd encourage um, everyone to carry around a beginner's mindset, whether you're very new to the boardroom or whether you've been in the boardroom for the last 20 to 30 years, you can certainly benefit from opening up to maybe, maybe I don't know anything yet. At the very least, it really helps to build trust and to build safety in a room if you're asking for others' input, if you're not having that arrogance to to think in your head, I know that already. Mm-hmm. Um, then you're just people can see that in your body language it makes people feel like they don't want to contribute necessarily um, so having a big, big beginner's mindset is really quite useful generally I think practicing being a beginner 
is a really nice way to go. So I encourage people often to fill the gap between um, learning and doing and in doing that to actually do something new every month to, Mm. you know, start a painting class or you know learn to sing or do some kind of outdoor activity that you've never done before because it really stretches you to know that there's more to learn there's more to understand and it reminds you of what it feels like to be really new and that helps you to more easily connect with that beginner's mind and take it into the room Mm. I can remember um, I was on a, a panel discussion with a lady called Professor Carol Kulik from the University of SA and it was a Women of Westpac event and we were talking about this being new. What if you're new in a role and you're feeling like, you, you know, you're a bit nervous, you don't know as much as the other people because you haven't been around for as long and um, she says you're adding value simply by being new. So when you go into a boardroom, for example, everyone else has been there for a little while and you're a new person in the room, you actually trigger people to turn on that beginner's mindset a little bit because they're forced to reflect on themselves. They're a little bit more conscious around the way that they're thinking and operating and questioning potentially that this is the way we've always always done things. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's really useful as well to actually kind of put yourself around someone who is new to your environment and to empathise with them to connect with them yeah as you're talking it struck me as um the need for vulnerability in leadership in any leadership position and every board member around the board table is in a leadership position um and it's it's kind of something I feel like vulnerability begets vulnerability and so if you're vulnerable others will be Um, vulnerable as well and the thing that keeps coming back to me is that ability to admit when you don't know and a lot of people probably go yeah I'm on a board that does not want to do that they that it's full of people who don't admit when they don't know and then they try and stumble through and they make it worse than if they'd just gone I don't know but let's find out kind of thing Mm -hmm. so have you had that sort of experience around being vulnerable and and sort of getting that back yeah I'll start actually the um when I first jumped into leadership I didn't have that vulnerability I was in my early 20s managing a medical imaging clinic I had no leadership experience and instead of acting like I had no leadership experience I really wanted to to be successful and to know it all so I kind of pretended like I had it under control and I didn't so I know what it feels like to not be vulnerable and that was internally really really painful to the point I almost kind of gave up that leadership role Mm -hmm. so I don't recommend the non-vulnerable approach because it eats you up inside and it's really uncomfortable Um, but if you do open up and you're vulnerable and you get this kind of ego back then that doesn't feel great either And what your tendency is, is someone throws their ego up. Your ego wants to be right. It wants to look good. It wants to judge. It wants to justify. Firstly, understand that that ego is coming up because that person in some ways feeling threatened themselves. Mm -hmm. And that can help soften the way you feel about what's happening if you really understand that for whatever reason that person's feeling a bit threatened at the moment. Mm. Um, But secondly, if you your tendency then is to feel defensive yourself your defensiveness is going to throw your ego up. And when two egos come out, they're just going to clash. 
and it's not going to be successful. So the best thing that you can do when you identify, oh, I think I've got a bit of ego coming up here is to keep yours down mm-hmm. and to stay as vulnerable and connected as you can and to get curious with that person. So if you ask questions and seek to understand that person and understand where they're coming from rather than fighting back, then you might actually see that start to soften and fall away because they don't need to feel defensive anymore. Now, this isn't going to work with everyone because there is unfortunately a percentage of the population who have psychological problems that is going to cause them to not be able to put that away. Right. Um, so that's potentially something to look into if you think I've really tried everything and I've thrown everything at this, that maybe there is some underlying thing and you are going to have to put some boundaries around yourself mm-hmm. or question if you're in the right place with the right team potentially. But for 90% of the population, if you put your ego away and manage yourself on the level, then you're probably going to find that you'll gain a bit of ground with that person over time. Right. Yes, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there going, yeah, I know that person. We all know someone, yeah. (laughs) And hope that it's not us, right? (laughs) Right. There's someone else. Questioning yourself on these things is such a useful thing to do, though, because you can see the behaviors, you can see the context. We've all got an ego. You can see the context where it comes up, and you're your own best teacher. Mm -hmm. So, this is how you can grow as a human to really say, I behaved I behaved in a way that I wouldn't have liked to in that situation what was it about that situation that made me throw my ego up how could I do that differently next time yeah it's so easy it's not like it's our default setting kind of like a protective mechanism that we use yeah yeah absolutely for me it's I I notice when I feel defensive if I start to feel defensive, I know my ego is coming up. That trigger for me will just go, okay, just calm down and allow yourself to actually connect and listen to the situations that happening that are happening here. You might have a tendency to want to deny things, to deflect things, um, to distort information that's coming in, to distract. Uh, all of those things are a sign that oh, maybe my ego is popping up here. Yeah. So how can people kind of think quickly on their feet during a board meeting that might be getting a little energized and robust (laughs) so (laughs) how do people think sort of get that thinking back rather than just the reacting what are some techniques do you recommend so in a moment where things are getting heated in a boardroom I do encourage someone in the room to be a circuit breaker and to be the one to say I think we need to take a minute here because this isn't a productive conversation. So Mm -hmm. let's just have a break, sit back down, (laughs) calm down, and then start again. I think sometimes all that's required is a circuit breaker. But to be able to maintain yourself and to be that person who I would call the leveller, Mm -hmm. um, to be able to be that person who can remain calm in an environment, it's about what you do outside of the boardroom to kind of protect your cognitive state and your mental state. So for a lot of us, particularly for a nonprofit board, we might have just done a really long work day already. We might have families that we're trying to tend to. We might, you know, have our own goals. We might be exercising, whatever it is that we're doing. And then we're getting into a boardroom at 6, 7 p.m. and trying to maintain that cognitive function and contribute really highly. We're not set up for success in that way. So throughout that day and throughout other days, it's important to look after your own mental well-being. 
Mm. Throughout that day specifically, I would say it's just how I would prepare for doing something like this to make sure I'm feeling nice and sharp. I get up in the morning and do a bit of movement, do some exercise, make sure you eat good mo- um, good meals during the day and mm. that you've kept up your water intake and not had too much caffeine. And in the boardroom, really don't recommend having alcohol in there. I know that some people do that, but that is not going to help a productive situation and high cognitive output. Or operating with care and diligence. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. So I'd just highly recommend you think about how am I maintaining my state and making sure that I'm giving myself the best chance of being able to stay calm in those situations. Because if you're coming in with a high level of stress already and then something triggers you, you might not have that time to go, oh, my ego's coming up here. You're just going to fly out. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, And have some techniques in the moment of, this is getting heated maybe it's a a deep breath or something that's going to help you to calm down before you contribute further yeah I I think something you said just before is so important and so simple it gets disregarded or not considered and that's basically recognizing how you are in the boardroom is how you are everywhere and so you need to practice these techniques these ways of communicating everywhere not just think that you can switch it on and switch it off in the boardroom it's you need to be practicing this in all facets at work at home all of those things and you'll be surprised that once you start looking at yourself how you behave in the boardroom and I've done this uh, (laughs) where you go wow what what is going on there yeah what what is What's driving that? What am, why do I do that? Why do I then do something and then on reflection afterwards get really frustrated with myself because that wasn't how I wanted to be. That's not how I saw myself as a board member. Oh, but hey, you do that at home with your husband. You do that at work. You do that here. You do that there. So maybe like this is something you really need to put some effort towards. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's also our tendency to blend in with the environment around us. It's often the strongest energy in the room that wins. So if you walk into a boardroom and there's a really strong energy in a particular way, you'll actually find that like dominoes, the people around them start to take on the same energy and the same approach. And if you're looking for diversity in the boardroom, for example, this is exactly what we don't want to happen. We want the people that have a unique point of view, unique energy and unique perspective to be able to hold on to that in the room. And to do that when you've got strong energies around means you need to be really strong and strengthen what it is that you uniquely bring in establishing your own leadership identity of what's important to me, what do I value, why am I here, what am I wanting to contribute, what am I wanting to contribute in the world, what's the greater purpose of what I'm doing here. Mm -hmm. Take that in and make sure that you really hold on to that strongly before you get sucked into behaving in particular ways as well because we don't want just diversity. Oh, we've got the ticks now, we've got diversity in the boardroom, but everyone just blends into the same old landscape anyway. We want the landscape to change and that requires you to actually maintain that different energy and different point of view. Yeah. So how can people start doing that? That is a a frequent concern that people bring up. How how can those people who want to uh, either do it differently or bring a different voice forward how do they start doing that when it's 
you know, the culture is not being conducive towards that at the moment. Yeah, well, firstly, you need to understand it. So you need to do the work to understand your own values. You might do, um, you know, there's different profiling tools that you can use, like the VIA character um, values in action survey. Um, there's other exercises you can do to really elicit what's important to me and what am I wanting to contribute. So you need to know that first before you start to implement it. And I think a lot of people try and fumble along and find that out as they go. But I would say before you even take on a board role, it's extremely important if you're giving your time and energy to something that you've done the work to think, what am I wanting to give my time and energy to and why? It's not just about so that, oh, I can be chosen, which a lot of us walk around our lives just wanting to be picked so that yeah. we feel special and important and we're validated. That's not a reason to jump on a board, right? <laughs> it's about knowing that I want to contribute in some way. So doing the work to understand that first is critically important. And that's a lot of the work that I do with leaders is helping people to understand that and then to articulate and communicate that with the fellow board members so that they understand why you're there and the value that you're wanting to bring and then to ask those questions if this work hasn't been done with your board to help others connect with what do they value what are they there for you know what's important to them and us as a group, what are we trying to contribute? Bringing that all back together can help to build the psychological safety of the board. And if you're really not feeling in an environment where you, you think that they value the diversity and they value the input, then it might be time to do some work on the board culture to increase the psychological safety, which will increase the performance and the contribution of that board as well. Yeah, those are all such critical conversations for boards to have regularly not talking every single meeting but to check in why are we here what is our purpose what are individually why are we here what is our purpose what are we meant to be doing and is our culture supportive of that and if not I mean we all have to contribute as board members to that environment that we're creating and the work and the output that we're delivering on so too many boards overlook that thinking that oh this is a board you know they're full of very smart accomplished capable people they should know how to do and what to do and all those other things so no have the conversation (laughs) but yeah what do you think about uh board members who are feeling unheard or feeling concern around how the board is operating of taking that offline with their chair yeah I think it takes courage to do that but it's extremely important to do that if you're going to stay strong to your values and contribute to a board in a meaningful way then that needs to be an environment that you can operate at your best in and if you're having that problem you're not the only one that's having that problem and potentially you're not going to invite people into that board who could also contribute in a really meaningful way so if you're going to have a conversation with the chair I think understanding the chair is really important too what's important to them what do they value um what kind of communication style do they have so that I can deliver this information to them in a way that they're going to accept it in the way that I mean? Uh, that's all really important too. So don't just go in and, you know, in a threatening way and complain. It's about 
understanding how to deliver the information to them, but then have some, you know, potential solutions in mind and be on their team in terms of here's how I think we can move forward. What do you think? Do you have any ideas? Have you noticed this before? It's just about being on the level rather than feeling like you're kind of finger pointing and saying that everything's broken. Right. And hypothetically, let's say that you've had a conversation with the chair and they don't agree with what you're saying. They think everything's fine. There's no problems. Just go away and leave me alone. It's really disappointing if that's what you come up against. And I imagine that it would happen. I am not actually familiar with the right way to go about those conversations. You probably know more than me. Like my In my head, I'm thinking, well, potentially you might have conversations with other board members and and get some clarity on you know how are things going for them what do you know do they have anything to add without kind of saying too much I would say yourself first for a little bit of um, protection but yeah have conversations with people and and understand from them how they think things are going and potentially through numbers you might be able to make some change but I actually don't know um the kind of the legally how you would go about that. You don't want to kind of mute me. <laughs> well, maybe. Um, no, you don't want that. You don't ever want it to get to that sort of crisis level. But, you know, a lot of people find it difficult to break through with the chair particularly. So I've had that issue not on all of my boards, thank God. It's sort of an outlier. outlier. So um, but people have it. I hear it far too often. It's disappointing um but yeah there's no there's no good way to do it is there yeah well unfortunately I mean a really nice way to go which can take a really long time is to lead by example and to influence change simply by doing things differently by not engaging in particular ways of communicating through being the leveler in the room and bringing people around that way you can influence one person can influence culture which is really nice to know. If you are on a board and you've been on a board for any team for a particular amount of time and you just feel like you're pushing poo uphill and you're not getting anywhere and you've tried everything and you're feeling really out of alignment and you're not living your values, again, it's questioning, do I want to be here? Is this the right place for me? Or is there someone better, somewhere better that I can contribute? Yeah, always know that you can leave a board. You're not Absolutely. You're not required to be there majority of the time um but that's getting a bit doom and gloom (laughs) (laughs) I want to sort of come back and say where we started from the new board member you've kind of spoke to the chair you've said you know I'm going to observe I'm going to look I'm going to sort of see how things fit and whatnot how then do you go about getting your voice heard contributing during the meetings What's that next step? Yeah, well, I think if you're feeling like you can't get your voice in, it's almost popping yourself on an agenda item. So at least you know that you're going to have a moment to speak. Mm -hmm. So if that's what you have to do, I would highly recommend doing that. So just create the space for yourself. If you don't feel like you want to take it that far and you know that you you can get your voice in, um, if you've got a, a highly active board, who have some really key contributors that are constantly talking and find it hard to break in. I have this problem sometimes um, mm-hmm. just as a, you know, just 
potentially a smaller presence in the room, I actually have to build my presence up. So if you have the physicality that is kind of closed over, and this is from the work of Amy Cuddy, mm-hmm. um, if you have the physiology that you are closed over and you're feeling a little bit meek and mild in the corner, that is actually going to influence the chemistry within your body and the hormones that you're experiencing. So it's going to increase your cortisol, which is your stress hormone. It's going to decrease your serotonin and your testosterone, which are your confidence hormones. So you're going to feel less confident. But the other really interesting thing that happens if you're kind of making yourself smaller in the corner over here, that automatically going to make the other person in the room feel bigger. So you're making yourself feel less confident and they're actually feeling more confident. So where to start is to make sure you're holding a strong presence in the room. And that can start before you even walk into the room. If you think of American politicians, it's probably the best way to go. If you see them walk through the crowd when they're coming to do some kind of address, they are standing up tall. Their body language is really open. They're greeting people. They're asserting that confidence in the room as they walk in. So if you think about that as you walk in, that's really helpful. Your presence is stronger, Mm -hmm. making sure you're building up your own energy, that you're sitting tall at the table. And then if you're wanting to contribute but you can't get a word in, lean forward, just make it known that you're wanting to engage in the group. So you've got the presence in there. And sometimes you actually need to physically throw up a hand and say, can I just add something there? So you're just increasing the space that you're taking up physically, as well as getting your voice in there. And then it's understanding how to deliver a message to the room, which you've done the work to understand yourself and what you have to offer. But have you done the work to understand the people in the room? What is their communication profile? How do they like to be communicated with? What's important to them? Mm -hmm. And that's how you start to influence change and to get your message heard in a way that they're wanting to hear it. Mm -hmm. So there are some things that you can use to do that as well. So in terms of personality profiling, I would say it was behavioural profiling essentially. Um, Disc profiling is the easiest, I would say, to understand. We do disc profiling to understand ourselves, but I think by far the most useful context is in how to communicate with others. So if I've got a room full of high Ds, I don't want to come in all light and fluffy with all of the story and think that that's going to get over the line because they're simply not interested. Um, If I'm in there with a high C, for example, you don't want to come in and give them a big hug and tell them about your weekend or to be too direct and to the point but not fill any of the gaps in between. So understanding that is... um, really quite useful and you can do a disc profile for free or get someone to come in and do the behavioral profiling of the group because mm-hmm. doing it as a group is really useful right so you all understand each other and oh, that's why I've seen mm-hmm. this in action actually I was um, working with a CEO who was trying to get something over the line with the board and she was feeling really frustrated because it just wasn't cutting through. She felt like they weren't supporting her. It was doing her head in. So I came in to, to have a look at how she was presenting and supported her with that. It was really obvious. It was a subcommittee of a board, um, all high D people. And she was bringing in these beautiful slide decks, you know, beautifully done, imagery, storytelling. They just didn't need that. They needed to know, where are we going? How are you going to get me there? okay, full stop. And we shifted the way it was communicated. And immediately they said, oh, thank you. That's what we were waiting for. 
So having that understanding of how to communicate with this particular group of people is really, really useful. In terms of understanding what drives behaviour, uh, there's this thing called the six core needs that was originally from Maslow, made famous more recently actually by Tony Robbins. But essentially as human beings, we've got six core needs, a need for safety and security, a need for variety, a need for connection and love, a need for recognition and significance and contribution and of growth. Now, all of us have probably two of those that are going to sit at the top in terms of what might, what's most important to us. Similarly, as a group, collectively, people are going to have two things that are most important to them. If I, I'll give you an example of a um, healthcare company that I was working with and their CEO rang me and said, um, we're doing this rebrand, a brand refresh, and I'm so excited about it and I'm communicating it with the team and it is going down like a ton of bricks. Like I just, they are thinking we're wasting money here. Why are we bothering doing this? Mm-hmm. And I said, how are you communicating it? What's the sort of messaging? And it was all around our future is here. Welcome to the next evolution of our brand. Now, this is someone who really values um, growth and who values uh, variety. So something new, something exciting, look at this. She worked for a healthcare company. So if you look at the profile of healthcare workers, they really value safety and security. So that change is terrifying to them. Mm. So I said to her, um, she's a really well-researched person, so I knew that there would have been a lot of research gone into making this decision to spend all of this money on a rebrand I said tell me about what's happened up to here why are you doing the rebrand she said we've we've um, done surveys of consumers and healthcare consumers are changing the way that they make decisions now they're actually deciding with their feet who they want to go to whereas before their doctor would give them a referral and off they'd go to the brand on the referral they're making their own decisions of who they want to go to said how interesting so we changed the messaging to healthcare consumers are talking with their feet here's how we're responding because Mm -hmm. they found out that the the brand if it looks dated they think that reflects on the equipment Mm -hmm. on the staff that we're not keeping up with things that we're not at the forefront and so that played to their um need for safety and security or if we don't do this then this could be really dire for the company and suddenly it started to shift over time in the way that it was received so putting all of the um, communication in through a lens of what is the need of this group and how am I communicating with that Mm -hmm. is also really helpful yeah there's a lot of information there (laughs) that was um but it's hugely valuable and it just comes back to understanding understanding the dynamics understanding you in those dynamics and how best to work with it rather than against it which is a message more for myself than for anyone else because I can get frustrated I'm like why do I have to play all these games can't people just get on with things I totally feel that Mm -hmm. I think it's I mean it's so understandable and I really get that but the long goal is to influence change over time so do the hard yards early on, right, to make things shift and change in a, in a different direction. But you're right, it's not easy, but do what works, I say, yeah. rather than feeling like you're battling against something. The other thing you're doing is developing a skill set. 
through yeah. simply just trying these methods like you're a scientist I've learned the thing I'm applying it here's what worked here's what didn't here's how I'm going to learn and grow and contribute in a different way moving forward yeah it, it feels super scary and so awkward to do a new thing for the first time right like speaking up in the boardroom or asking a question at a board meeting I remember you feel like a total idiot asking a stupid question that you are sure everyone knows <laughs> but the more you do it the easier it gets and yeah. really I think it's through asking great questions that you can really influence the change that you're trying to make it's, so yeah. Tamsin how do you find the right questions to ask it's <laughs> a great question and you're so right it's asking great questions that not only helps to build your knowledge but it helps to trigger people to really think things through and think differently uh, I would say that if you're crafting a question and you're asking a why question then what you're inviting is a repetition of story um, and you're inviting people into the weeds which I've seen happen a lot before in the boardroom um, and you're not really creating process. So it's unpacking the, oh, why, why did we get here? It's, it's inviting a winch fest mm. sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas if you're using a, you know, how did, what was the process that happens to get to this outcome? You know, if there's something that's consistently happening over time, tell me the process behind that. How mm. does that happen? what happened to get us here, to avoid the why. So it's, you know, who, what, how, I would say, are the questions that you're wanting to to get more information on Yeah, um, is how I would encourage you to think about that. I feel like there's so many people out there right now saying, well, isn't that the same question? Uh, yeah, but is it though? So if we're looking, if we're seeking process, yeah. process is a lot different to oh, well, Susie doesn't know how to do this and she does that and blah, 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 and, you know, <laughs> yep. or tell me the process behind that. How do you get there? Well, yep. this process goes to that step, which goes to that step, and it stays high level. And when we've got the process, then we can change the process mm -hmm. or we can elicit a process in a, you know, more positive term of looking at that organisation's done it this way how did that come about let's map that process out and then we can apply it our way so mm -hmm. how just means that we've got something that we can do why takes us into the weeds and it's just a conversation about something that's already happened mm. yeah absolutely which happens far too often in board meetings sometimes it's necessary because I'm not going to universalize and say you should never get into issues um, and every board is slightly different with their role and their resources and things like that. So I think that sometimes you need to get there. You've got I think to be discerning about when that is. Understanding a problem is really important, but it's what part of the problem do you want to understand? Hmm. So you don't necessarily need to get the story, but more of the process of the problem. Hmm. So you're not repeating that makes sense. past mistakes. Yeah, well, it's not a therapy. It's, it's, you're not wanting to, you Sometimes know, Sometimes you might need the, that as a group. 
have a bitch probably (laughs) probably yeah I mean we're all going to do it we're all going to get there we're going to find ourselves reversing over things knowing that it's not particularly productive but it feels good to to chat it through anyway but if you're actually wanting to influence to move forward to make a change then it's getting into that sort of level of story is not particularly important to ask quite great questions the most important thing is to listen because if we're trying to think of questions in our head while someone's talking, we're missing up on cues, we're missing out on cues, we're missing out on key pieces of information. It's like you said before, seeking to respond rather than seeking to understand, oh, how can I come up with a question that makes me look really smart here? Well, if you actually listen to what the person's saying, you can pick out bits of information, bits of gold, and then craft a, a question that's really meaningful and really thought-provoking. But you need to understand where they're coming from mm. in order to ask a question that's going to make them maybe rethink their point of view. Yeah, yeah, we'll get to the outcome. You're trying to get that. So. I'm thinking back to the board member who is feeling a bit small with this big energy that's in the room of someone else. What if you're that big energy? Mm. (laughs) I mean, to me, it kind of sounds obvious to identify that you're that person. I can sometimes be that person and I need to remember that and keep that in mind. But how do... I guess two ways. How can you self-identify that you might be that person and that your energy is great, but sometimes you need to just turn the dial down a little bit? But then how could you be that person who might tap that big energy on the shoulder after the meeting and just say, hey, I don't know if you realise, but, you know, for want of a better word, you're a little over-dominating in the board meeting. (laughs) So two-part question, how -hmm. do you self-identify as it? How would you deal with it if someone like that is on your board? Okay, so self-identification, I just trigger anyone who is listening now to reflect on their own behaviour because you say, surely you would know, chances are you probably don't. You just kind of, this is your approach to everything, like you're saying, how you do this is how you do everything and you're not necessarily aware that it's different to anybody else in the way that they communicate and contribute. So either now or next time you're in a boardroom situation, just think, how much am I contributing? Uh, Is there any body language around me that might suggest that people just want me to stop talking? (laughs) It's probably a good thing to pick up on. (laughs) So true. So you, you can reflect on it in that way, actually just self-analysis. But also if you've got trusted people around you, say, I'm really wanting to make sure that the people in this room are contributing in their full capacity. Should I shift my behavior? Is there anything that I can do differently that's going to create space for other people to contribute? And you can do that whether you're in the loudest person in the room or not. Asking for that feedback, A, it's a vulnerable thing to do. So you're creating more connection with the people that you're working with. But B, it's going to help you to see any blind spots and to help you to, to grow in the way that you're operating. So I'd certainly recommend asking for that feedback. And it might not even be in the boardroom situation. It could be some where you feel a bit safer potentially to maybe yeah. a spouse, possibly or possibly not. <laughs> you tell me what to do. <laughs> Someone who knows you really well to say, how could I, how could I create 
an environment where people are going to to be able to speak up and to yeah. say what they need to say. Um, how do you tap someone on the shoulder and give them that feedback? I think I always go back to the Brené Brown clear is kind thing, right? If, yeah. if you're seeing something over and over again, you owe it to that person and to the room to communicate that to them because for them, if they're not aware of their behaviour and it's not if it's something that's spoken about behind their back, for example, how mortifying that you might find out on the grapevine somehow these people think that you, you talk too much and you don't let anyone speak. So it's really saying um, it would be great to be able to hear more voices in the room. I think you've got so much value to share and it's interesting to see your perspective, but I think we're missing out on the perspective of other people in the room sometimes. Um, <laughs> I love because that- I imagine if someone said that to me, I would feel awful I would feel terrible which I hope most people would I I hope offensive thing no one likes having negative feedback but would you prefer to find out that people think it and haven't said it or would you prefer to get the information absolutely I mean give me the feedback yeah good bad yeah and it sucks whatever getting negative feedback feels horrible yeah Yeah. but you'd always rather have it so you're doing the kindest thing by just delivering the feedback and I'm not for the sandwiching things um the poo sandwich it's um people can see it from a mile away it feels disgusting they're only going to get the bad messaging anyway because our brain focuses on the negative more than the positive so just give it to them in a really respectful way and again understand the way that they want to be communicated with and communicate with them in that way yeah and every then if someone is genuinely giving you good feedback you're going but and you're waiting for the negative to come yes. in. There might not be any, but they've lost a great opportunity to like really lift someone up because they're just waiting for that other shoe to drop. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I think particularly if it's only one person that's um, the dominator, then it's important to address that one person. If there's a dynamic in the room that needs to shift, then you could do work as a group. That's a non-threatening yeah. approach, but I never recommend doing group work for a single-person problem think that's just not clear and not kind yeah. everyone in the room knows why you're doing it just go to that person exactly <laughs> if you're listening don't be that person um it's it's reminded me as you were talking what you mentioned before about getting to know the group and the individuals and I say that I'm going to use myself as an example as uh again um so we're not you know, talking about other people, talking about myself, I am very excitable and I get very excited over things that people probably don't find exciting. But oftentimes that reads as aggression and I'm being aggressive and I'm trying to push my view. But no, I'm just excited and I want people to like come back and like let's have a conversation and let's get really into it, like have those fierce conversations that a lot of people would think is conflict but it's not and I do want to hear you it's just because I'm stepping forward doesn't mean I don't want you to step forward like meet me in the middle so it what helps is like when you get to know each other and you know that about that person you can be like oh Lisa's not being a bitch that's just what she's like (laughs) 
Yeah, I see where you're coming from. Absolutely. And isn't it nice that giving open feedback invites you to be able to say, I am so sorry, that's how it comes across. Let me help you understand where I'm coming from. And then we can find some middle ground here. And I do want to quickly just say, if you're not feeling comfortable as the newest board member going to the loudest board member and saying, hey, I just want to give you this feedback, which is really likely, talk to your chair about it. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Um, And they might be able to give you some insights as well. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, But in the context of getting to know the individuals in the room, that is critically important. But how much time do you have to do that? Right? We're rocking up at the board meeting. We're exhausted by the time we leave. We all want to go home, which is why it's so important to regularly do that group work to understand the individuals in the room and what they where they're coming from. There's a consulting company, I think it was McKinsey and Co, who actually started doing um, kind of like executive operating manuals. So they'd have their disc profile, they'd have their natural tendencies. Loves to be asked questions in this way. If you're going to give this person, uh, if you're going to ask this person a question. Um, go in with, you know, two possible solutions and a recommendation, all of the those essential things about that person and the way that they operate, and then a little bit about their family and their background so that you've got a little bit of information about them before you go in. The jury's yeah. out on whether I think that's a great idea because I also think that it could potentially be a bit of a, oh, this is just who I am, so deal with it sort yeah. of an arrangement. I mm-hmm. encourage people to evolve past their operating manual but um, understanding those things about each other as you come in particularly as a new person is is so useful and so helpful to as you're feeling not particularly confident and you're a little bit worried you're going to be thinking oh is it just me why are they talking like that have I done something wrong Um, so the more you understand about people the better so you could as a new board member actually go about having a coffee with each individual member and understanding you know why are you here what brought you here what are you wanting to contribute and just elicit what's important to that person but better still do some disc profiling do some value solicitation connect everything to everyone individually to the purpose of the organization and what it means to them how valuable would that be yeah extremely I don't know why more boards don't do it yeah big time for it I know everyone's busy but I feel like that's one of those things that you have to sort of go slow in order to go fast. Mm -hmm. So once you get to know everyone, you can sort of get over all of that interpersonal dynamic that can really hold you up in in the boardroom and getting the job done. Just you can work past that in a flash. Yeah. Really simple ways of connecting with the board and connecting each other outside of the work of the board. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's also just useful to understand the skill sets of the different people in the room, because if you can see an opportunity for the organisation, you're trying to mull it over in your head. Oh, how would I go about that? That's not really within my area of expertise. And you've got someone sitting across the room who's got all this experience in doing exactly that thing, but you don't know because you're new. Everyone else might know each other, but you don't know yet. You don't know who to ask what. And you think you should know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. It comes back to being able to ask the questions, not being afraid to do that. Absolutely. So what would you sort of have as a recommended toolkit for new board members going into a new board role to help them settle in and start returning value? So firstly, I would just 
really help yourself understand the reason that you're there in the first place, the unique value and contribution that you bring, the difference that you're trying to make, but also get some insight from the board as to what they're looking for from you in terms of a contribution. You don't have to guess that of, oh, they think I'm this, but I'm actually this. Let's make sure those two things line up and be really open about that and upfront and then find out if they need anything extra from you. Is there an opportunity to upskill? So instead of feeling like an imposter, you've just got this roadmap to here's where I am. I've I've been picked for this seat, so I belong here and Mm -hmm. I can grow into it. Here's Mm -hmm. the ways that I can grow and here's the ways that I can add some more value. So I think that's really important. Um, giving yourself that permission at the start by having a conversation with your chair about your intent for the first couple of months. Not everyone's going to be like me and want to take that couple of months to settle in. That's okay, but make sure you're doing it deliberately, whatever approach you decide to take. Mm-hmm. So have a real think about that. What what am I going to do in my first three months is a question that will get asked in an interview a lot of the time. Um, so have a good think about that first and ask a lot of questions is my advice don't be afraid to ask questions it's helpful you're adding value simply by being new by asking these questions and you're helping yourself to build your capacity and your capability you don't need to be the expert as soon as you walk in the door you don't want to be the expert as soon as you walk in the door there's so much value in being the beginner so never lose that yeah such great advice so Tamsin, how could people get in touch with you if they wanted to follow your work and, and read more about your philosophy on life, work and leadership? Yeah, so find me on LinkedIn. I'm most active on LinkedIn. I think you'll provide a link to that. Absolutely. I've got a website, tamsinsimmons.com, which is a way that you can see a little bit more information about the way that I operate. Um, email hello at tamsinsimmons.com. Feel free to email me with any questions you've got. I respond on to everybody and I'm more than happy to to help out and have a bit of a chat and make sure that this is really relevant information for people yeah so you did want to offer people to reach out connect and have a free 20-minute conversation with you and answer any questions they have yeah I think the most important part of my work is to bridge the gap between learning and doing I would much prefer to see people just giving things a go and contextualizing the learning and and going off and doing it like a scientist, like I was saying before. So if you need a little bit more information to apply something that I've said into the way that you're working into a particular situation, I'm happy to have a free um, 20 minute chat on Zoom, just like this with anyone who's got a specific question for me, or if you want to shoot it through email, that's fine as well. That's great. And they can reach out through LinkedIn or through your website. Yeah, absolutely. And just mention the podcast so that I know that where they've come from. Awesome. Thank you so much, Tamsin. It's been such a great conversation and very cathartic for me. <laughs> <laughs> me too. I'm, I'm glad all my um, regrets and disappointments on how I behaved in uh, various boards over the years is actually going to be beneficial to someone so they hopefully don't make the same mistakes that I did. Absolutely. I have the same hope as well for for what I've said here. Um, And but this is how we learn. And so for anyone who feels like they've, oh, I'm in my first board role and I'm just not happy with how things have gone from here. Of course, you're new. That's great. Mm -hmm. And what next? What have you learned from it? And how are you going to do things differently next time? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for your time and sharing your wisdom and experiences. Thanks for having me.
My pleasure. Thanks, Tamsin. I hope this conversation helps you begin to take positive steps towards finding your voice in the boardroom. Personally, I have found that the best approach is to feel the fear and do it anyway. You can only prepare and plan and think about it so much. At the end of the day, you have to take small actions towards being the person you know you can be and who you want to be. And then repeat that and repeat it. And before you know it, you will have built your confidence and skills and developed an effective board presence. If you haven't already, I invite you to subscribe, rate and review the Board Shorts podcast on your favourite podcast app. And please feel free to share that you're, you're listening and what your takeaways are from this episode on social media using the hashtag Board Shorts podcast. Thank you so much for listening and I look forward to talking with you in the next episode. The Board Shorts podcast is powered by Get On Board Australia the destination for aspiring and new board members, helping you to get on board and thrive in the boardroom.